Hi folks, welcome back to Force Ghost Coast to Coast. My name is Brian Salvatore. Thank you so much for joining us again on this podcast. We hope you enjoyed episode one. The response has been fantastic. And we're very, very glad that you came back for episode two, which is entitled Attack of the Prequels. In this episode, we're going to talk about all things related to the prequel trilogy, specifically the position of fans who were Star Wars fans before the prequels, and then fans who grew up in the prequel era. So before we get too much into that, I want to talk about my experience with the prequels a little bit here. You heard last week I talked about how I got a job at a movie theater to see episode one early, and I'm going to reference that again in a chat you're going to hear in just a few minutes. But there's a very specific episode one memory I want to talk about. So when you work at a movie theater, and specifically when you're a new guy at the theater, one of your jobs is to clean the theater after the movies are over. And so you start to recognize the sound that bleeds out of the walls to get you ready to clean. And we had episode one in our theater from May until, I want to say, September. We had it there for a long time. So when I would start to hear that Gungan celebration music, I would start having, you know, minor uh, butterflies in my stomach knowing it was time to go in there and clean up after the disgusting, disgusting patrons of our theater. And so still to this day, I just recently rewatched the prequels, and when that music started, I jumped a little bit in my skin. I remembered that from, you know, 15, 16 years before, I still remember that, that sort of sensory feeling of getting ready to clean a movie theater. My other big prequel memory is the, that same theater, uh, for about maybe six months before Episode 2 came out, had a big, big poster. I want to say it was probably maybe 10 feet long and 3 or 4 feet high, and it said something along the lines of, it had Anakin on one side and Padme on the other, and it said something like, a Jedi should know, should not know fear or blah, 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 or love. And it was setting up this great love story we were supposed to see in episode two that, again, never quite came to be. So... First up tonight, we're going to hear from the gentlemen on the podcast who call ourselves the DC3 over at Multiversity, myself, Vince Ostrowski, and Zach Wilkerson, and we're going to talk about being fans of the original trilogy who then were introduced to the prequels. Well, except for Zach, Zach's a little bit younger than us. You'll hear about it. Why am I even stalling? Enjoy, Zach, Vince, and myself. Well, I am back, and I'm here with my pals, Zach and Vince. We are the DC3 at Multiversity, but today we are the Prequels 3, I guess we'll call ourselves. Uh, we are going to be the talking... Prequel, the Prequel Trilogy. The Prequel Trilogy, there we go. I like it. Uh, the, we're going to be discussing the Star Wars prequels and kind of just our experiences with them. And, you know, just for reference, uh, I am 33, Vince is 28, and Zach, you 26? 26, yes. Yeah, so um, just to give a, an idea, that means Zach was 10, Vince was 12, and I was uh, 16 or 17 when The Phantom Menace came out. So that's kind of the reference points we're drawing from here. Um, so I guess let's start with, with the baby of the bunch here. Uh, Zach, what was your sort of lead up to The Phantom Menace like as a 10-year-old Star Wars fan? Well... 
I I was really the only Star Wars fan in my family. I had come into Star Wars about two years prior, I think, around the time of the special edition re-release. Um, and so my exposure to, like, the Star Wars hype was basically just watching commercials and enjoying all the product tie-ins. And I actually, sad story... I actually didn't get to see the movie in theaters. I read the novelization. That's how I ex- got to experience episode one. Was there a reason you didn't see it in theaters? Well, I did. Well, we didn't really live close to a movie theater, and I, you know, I, I guess there just wasn't. My my parents weren't super interested in taking me to see it. <laughs> um, I really, you know, the details are fuzzy. I really don't remember, but somehow I got my hands on the novelization rather than going to see it in theaters. So yeah, so I, I read the novelization and just picked that thing to pieces and spent the whole summer drawing characters with double-bladed lightsabers. Uh, just for for my own personal gratification here, once once you saw the movie, did you feel the novelization was superior? You know, I that's an interesting question. And I, one, I've in a lot of ways, I think it was. It fleshed out things a lot better. And again, I mean, it's been a long time since I've read the, read the novelization. And I actually can't remember the first time I actually saw the movie, really. My interest in the prequels wasn't really that high. I, I, can't, I even remember, and I'm, I'm sure we'll get into this more, but like around the time Attack of the Clones came out, I just, you know, I, I was interested, but it just like didn't really capture me. I was kind of it's kind of strange i think i was snobbier as a as a i guess i would have been like 12 or 13 year old by that time about like the original trilogy than i am now <laughs> it really wasn't until like i was 15 16 and revenge of the sith came out that i was all in on that interesting huh so uh vince what was your uh sort of pre-release feeling about venom menace Okay, so, uh, 12 years old, huge Star Wars super fan. Seen the original trilogy hundreds of times by then, you know. Um, family, it was a huge Star Wars family. Um, I had an encyclopedia that I would pour over that had all the different characters and all their backstories. Um, and then all of a sudden there was going to be a series of movies where you would actually get to see that stuff play out. So, as a 12-year-old, I was super... Super excited for the prequels to come, and uh, and I, I I remember I have these vivid memories of the lead up where like Pepsi had all the different Pepsi cans, yep, and, mm-hmm. and with the characters on them, and yep. I'm like collecting these, and I'm like, whoa, like half of these are characters that I've never even heard of before, you know. So not only am I getting the backstory of these characters from the original trilogy, but now I've got a whole new world of characters to enjoy, or so I thought. And uh, and and so um, I was super pumped to see The Phantom Menace. My mom won uh, tickets from Taco Bell to uh, <laughs> and, and a bunch of shitty tacos, <laughs> tickets and tacos, um, to go see the to go see The Phantom Menace. 
the day before it came out, kind of in the press screening, you know, uh-huh. we we lived in a pretty small town in Wisconsin, but you know, there's still got to be a, pr- a pre-screening, a press screening, um, in a, a nearby city, you know. So we were able to go to that thanks to her winning. She like stayed on the phone all morning trying to call the local radio station, and we ended up winning. And like, oh my god, it was going to be so amazing, you know, and. Um, so so I was really, really psyched, and I came in with this, like, major hype factor going on. My, I guess my story kind of uh, is not all that dissimilar from yours. Uh, I was a huge, huge Star Wars fan. I saw the special editions all in the theaters, which is my first time seeing Star Wars in a theater. To my knowledge, I, I guess as a kid... I know it was re-released a few times. Maybe my parents had taken me, but I don't remember that. And so I remember seeing them all as a as a kid uh, on VHS. And um, one of my first film memories, which if you've listened to the whole series, you've heard me talk about, is seeing Return of the Jedi. And I was, I mean, a huge, huge, huge Star Wars fan. And but in high school, you know, uh, a young man's thoughts turn to other things than just a galaxy far, far away. Um, and so I guess I was at sort of my, my lowest point of Star Wars fandom about a year before the movie came out. I knew it was happening. I wasn't particularly excited about it. But then I saw the first teaser and I saw the poster. The poster of Jake Lloyd walking away, casting the shadow of Darth Vader. Mm-hmm. And I was all in. Uh, I was all in to the extent that I had friends, not really good friends, but I had sort of peripheral friends who worked in a movie theater, and they told me that the people in the theater got to see the movie a day early, any movie a day early, and so they, they said they didn't know if it would happen with Star Wars, but it might, and just the idea of it might happening was enough for me to get a job at that movie theater, and so I saw The Phantom Menace at 3 p.m. the day before release, and as I was leaving the theater at, you know, 6 or so, People were already lined up outside for the midnight screening. Wow. Um, and uh, I think like a lot of people, my immediate reaction was that I thought it was pretty good. And I think it was only after sort of the hype of it dying down. My, my, my most specific memory from this event is for some reason, and I really don't know why, I never fathomed that it would begin the same way as the other movies. Mm. I never thought it would be a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, and then the title scroll. I never anticipated that. And when it happened, I gasped. Because <laughs> it was like this, I was so excited. And I think just, you know, like my body was so prepared to love it that I all the things that I still think kind of hold up about it, I thought were fantastic. And there were parts like Jar Jar I didn't like you know, obviously, um, but I really do, it took me like till the second or third screening of it. And I saw it probably four or five times in the theater because I was working at the movie theater at that time. Um, until I realized, Oh, this isn't very good. Is it? <laughs> and I think a lot of people had a very similar reaction to it. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know about See, you guys. That's interesting because, because I, okay. So I was 12 at the time. I, I was, I was about to turn 17. Yeah. And so I think that's the difference because um I loved it all the way through. I I didn't th- I re- I remember this vividly. I didn't think Jar Jar was funny, like I didn't laugh at him, you know? Mm-hmm. 
but I, I remember not finding him to be a hindrance. And now he, now he's like the classic joke that everybody makes, you right. know, that he's terrible or whatever. But I remember at the time I, I more or less tolerated him. I mean, I would, I'd say it was even more positive than that. He was just the goofy comic relief character that I didn't think was all that funny, but I, he also didn't ruin the movie for me. But I was 12. Mm-hmm. And then I think we'll, we'll talk about this um, later, I'm sure. But when um, Revenge of the Sith came out, I was a senior in high school. And then so my reaction probably was a lot more similar to yours to this movie because we would have been similar ages. Yeah, yeah. So was yeah, that so. Um, 2003? Sith was 2005. 2005. Okay, so I was out of college already. Yeah. I had a job, guys. I was paying rent <laughs> when we came out. Um, yeah, and I mean, you know, being a discerning 10-year-old and also, you know, my strange course to that, that my strange relationship with that film, I loved it unequivocally. I, you know, I devoured it. I was obsessed with the characters and, you know, and I, I think even once I finally saw the movie, I had no qualms with it. You know, I, I maybe there was a part of me that knew it was different. There was something that was different from the originals. And I don't know if at that age I could place it, mm-hmm. but I still loved it. Now I'm going to drop a, a, a quote in here. So listeners, you'll hear the, you'll hear George Lucas saying this quote, but uh, for Vincent Zach, I'm just going to paraphrase it. In the special from Star Wars to Jedi, which came out in 84, I believe, George Lucas talks about his joy at creating the Jabba's Palace sequence in Return of the Jedi. It took so much effort to get up to speed, which was essentially to make the first film. And I created this great world, but I didn't have the fun of being able to run around in it. Now that I knew the world and I could see it, and it was a real thing, it, it brings up all kinds of ideas of things and funny moments and, and adventures that you could have in that environment that you've created. Uh, and I never got to exploit that. And I always felt, in my first film, is that if I went back and make another film in that environment using those characters, I could make a hell of a better movie. And it would just be infinitely more exciting and interesting and fascinating. Because the first one was just trying to, you know, you're in a foreign environment and you just don't know what's going on. And it's the same for the author as it is for the audience. To me, the prequels is Lucas taking that to its furthest possible conclusion. He was just so happy to be playing back in this world that the story became ancillary to him. And it was more about just hanging out in Star Warsville. The problem is, his version of Star Warsville is nowhere near what my version of Star Warsville was like. Does that make sense? Yeah, I I can see that. Um... So let's let's just, before we go any further, let's just give, like, um, at Multiversity, we do comic reviews on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being perfect, 0 being, you know, terrible. Uh, What would you guys, 2015 adult male perspective here, what do you guys rank your uh each of the three movies let's start with phantom menace uh zach oh man you're gonna start with me (laughs) i'm gonna be 
I would give Phantom Menace a six and a half. Vince? I was going to say a six. I was going to say five and a half. Uh, Attack of the Clones, uh, Vince, I'll go with you first. I, I, I would say like a two or a three. I would say probably a 3.5. And I, I was going to say a three. And then Revenge of the Sith, I would say a four. 4.2 maybe. I, I would say... I, I'd say two or three for that one too. Wow. I I would say I would go I would say five. Okay. Um. So the re one of the reasons that this whole podcast, this multiversity on Star Wars, whatever I decide to actually call it when it comes out, one of the reasons this exists is because the three of us were talking a few weeks ago, and Zach said to me, "I think the Phantom Menace is the best prequel." Now. For some context, I have not watched the... Before this week, I had not watched the prequels since seeing them in the theater. I might have watched episode one once or twice on VHS or DVD when I was a freshman in college. Maybe. But I certainly hadn't seen the other two. And I'd only seen Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith once a piece. And when Zack said that, I thought, there's no fucking way. There's no way that is the best prequel. I could not imagine it. Now I'm I'm kind of on his I'm kind of on your side. Um, so just give us in like two or three minutes why you think Phantom Menace is the best prequel. Okay, I have a, a short list of things here. Sure. Um, and I'll, you know, like you, this is a recent revelation to me as well. It's just been within my most recent rewatch that I've kind of started to feel this way, and the more um, kind of like research I've done and stuff the the actually the more positively I think about Phantom Menace and the less the more negatively I think about the other two um so I there are a few things primarily I think I would say Phantom Menace fits the the construct and like the the, the themes of of the original trilogy more so than the other two in a lot of different ways I also think it stylistically matches them better um i think one of the primary themes that we see in the original trilogy is a a theme of you know a lot of the story of the original trilogy deals with with luke and his path to becoming a jedi and the the climax of the whole story is him choosing to um sort of passively resist the emperor and that's what leads to vader um deposing the emperor and we you know get the saves the day thing um and so this this i feel like phantom menace contrasts that really well by showing how disunified and how proactive and how just accepting of the status quo and the way things are that the the Republic and the Jedi are at the start of, of Phantom Menace. You know, we see the 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 way that um, the the way uh, you you see it a lot on Tatooine how different how like indifferent they are towards the Republic and how the Republic doesn't really look at them or cast an eye to them. We see how like 
the Jedi are kind of this impotent, you know, extension of the Republic and not at all how you would expect the Jedi to be. Um, and, you know, I think Lucas sets up this, this viewpoint of, of how the state of the galaxy and everything, and it just, it clashes with what we expected to see. You know, we didn't expect the Jedi to be like this. That's not how they were presented by Obi-Wan in the original trilogy. And so I think the, what catches people a lot about what catches people the wrong way about Phantom Menace is that it just doesn't meet that expectation. Um, But I think that Lucas created something and yet most would probably say I'm giving him too much credit, but I think he created something that's really real and in a lot of ways, slightly more intellectually driven than the original trilogy was. That's interesting. Um, Vince, anything to add about Phantom Menace? Um, I, I agree with what Zach said, and um, I, I think he went into it far more deeply than I ever could. Um, but I, I will add that I, the argument you hear is that Revenge of the Sith is the strongest of the original prequels. Um, I guess because it's like the most emotional or it's the most... It 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 draws on the history of Star Wars more than any other, I guess, is what people say. I mean, but nerds of a certain me, age it, were waiting for that volcanic <laughs> that volcanic mm-hmm. battle forever. Oh sure, and, and so yeah. I, I think that that gets a lot of leeway because just we had all been waiting for it for so long. Yes, and I, and, and I also think Revenge of the Sith gets a pass in a lot of ways because it was that last chance for people to justify the or not maybe not justify but to like that's the one that fans can hang their hat on and say this one is the most quote unquote mature and you know it it it's it's dark and it it does hit a lot of those like thematic points that we were all waiting for you know Vader's turn and everything right sure um i think that's the one that a lot of people can be the most comfortable in saying is mm-hmm. their favorite or is the best one. Yeah. I can see that. And I, I, and, and I was that person. Oh, I was too. I, I think, you know, but, but also remember what I said earlier about the Phantom Menace and how there were all these characters from the original trilogy with backstories that I get to see now. I, I felt like two episodes later, and uh, and now I was a senior in high school and like practically an adult. I didn't. I as the movies went on, I realized I didn't need to see that stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I already knew it. It was a foregone conclusion. I didn't need to see it anymore, and I didn't. I wasn't necessarily thrilled with the way the the movies I imagined in my mind were better than the ones that we ended up with. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, like that epic battle between Obi Wan and Anakin. In my mind, of course, what ended up on the screen could never beat what you imagined. You know? Yeah. I'm sure it didn't live up to how George Lucas imagined it. You know? But it's just what we ended up with, and um, and so in hindsight, that's why I 
graded the movies the way that I did, and I basically, to me, Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith might as well be the same movie. Like, see, I, to me, it's well, I, I agree with you on Attack Attack of the Clones. There's something just like fun fundamentally wrong with that movie, and I don't (laughs) know what it is exactly. It's just, it's just wrong. Um. Revenge of the Sith has a lot of the same problems. I think it is maybe slightly something about, I was going to say the pacing is better, but there's a very big problem I have with the pacing in one key part of Revenge of the Sith. There's, there's something about Revenge of the Sith that I think just works on a certain level. Well, I don't, can I, can I offer a theory as to why? Yeah, go ahead. It's the only one of the three that isn't a complete reset from the one before it. Okay. Like, Phantom Menace is obviously a total reset from the original trilogy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Attack of the Clones, I mean, yes, we get some of the characters back, but Anakin's a completely different character. And the, <laughs> in, more, in more ways than one. Yes, exactly. And, and we also have um, a, a, a like jarring visual shift yes, from one to the other. And I feel like because you're primed by the look of Attack of the Clones... And the feel of Attack of the Clones, you're in familiar territory for Revenge of the Sith. And so it doesn't feel as jarring. Mm-hmm. There's one thing I, that was brought to my attention recently about Revenge of the Sith. Um, have you watched that one yet? I knew you were yeah, rewatching. I, 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 I'm, I'm done rewatching them. Okay, okay. You know that scene um, right before Anakin goes to intervene with the the jedi council confronting palpatine Uh there's a scene where he's sitting in the he's standing in the jedi temple and padme is in her apartment and they are just like looking out at each other yes or where each other would be and they don't speak there's no words and it's one of the only times that that lucas like shows rather than tells yeah and it's it's one of the few times that you know you kind of see him doing something interesting as a director in, yeah. in the prequels. Yeah. So it's like things like that. There are just a few things in Sith that work, I think. So, so like I said, I, I just rewatched these. And to be fair, I rewatched two of them while I was homesick. So <laughs> I, I may not be the best. Uh, I, I had a cold. I wasn't feverish or anything, you know, but still. <laughs> um, that would be great if you had just like this feverish recollection. Yeah. Of the, and that was your, your foundation here. <laughs> but so uh, to me, the three movies fail for grossly different reasons. Um, to me, the Phantom Menace fails because Lucas was trying to do too much. I think that is the most pure of the three films. Um, I think that the Jedi are absolutely unlikable in that movie mm-hmm. and really in all three movies well but... and you know i don't think that's unintentional either um I, I might disagree with you about that a little bit okay um i think they were not meant i think lucas might have realized he couldn't make the jedi as great as we all thought mm-hmm. but there are some things the jedi do that we're supposed to like applaud at that i find are horrible um, like what can you can you give an example because i would like to i would I'm I'm curious. The entire way they handle Obi Wan and and uh, his training of of Anakin, like okay. every so so the way I I've I've been you know I don't want to say I'm outing myself here, but I, for my day job I work with kids at a church, so I think about things 
through a lens of faith a lot of times. Mm-hmm. And uh, to me, the Jedi seem like the most ineffectual religious organization of all time. Like, <laughs> you have everybody on the Jedi Council is like, I sense great fear in this. This is There is dread surrounding this kid. But you know what? Go ahead and do it. And I feel like as the responsible adults in the room, because Obi-Wan's supposed to be a young man at this point. And so, like, uh, can you imagine in high school if you were like, hey, science profe- science teacher, I'm going to mix up these chemicals. I know it's going to be good. The science teacher would be like, no, you can't do that. They have to be the adults in the room. And the Jedis talk like adults, but they never act like adults. The entire trilogy. I... I don't disagree with you at all. I agree with you 100%. Uh-huh. And again, this may be me giving Lucas too much credit. I feel like that is the obvious response to what I'm going to suggest. But I think that is on purpose. Maybe. Maybe it is. It just seems to me like I don't know why he spent three films making us all want to be Jedis. To them be like, yeah. psych, it sucks. Well, and you know, <laughs> I, think, I, I think that is one of the reasons that the prequels are so negatively received. Yeah. Anyway, so I think that the Jedi's are, are absolutely unlikable. I think that the plot is so convoluted and there's so many plot holes and no one gives a shit about a trade federation, like all of that. But Phantom Menace, to me, it is the honest expression of a filmmaker who is flawed. And it fails, but it, it, it swings for the fences when failing. Yeah. To and there's me- a lot of variety there. Like that, like, Yes. Like like the scenes look different and 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 sequences look and feel different whereas I my experience with Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith was that it was one like extending sense of dread just piling up. Yeah. In in like very similar atmospheres and interactions. It's one long cutscene from a PS1 game. (laughs) (laughs) Revenge of the Sith looks really good. That opening battle looks really good. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's nothing wrong with like the special effects and the, and the way that the, that sort of thing plays out. It's just the, 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 the feel of the movie, like the visual, identity of the movie seems really similar and it's, kind of it's very sterile it is yeah really especially yeah. the especially clones and sith like a, there are a lot of times when you can tell there are just two actors on screen yes walking around in a, in a you know blank space and the image is just being superimposed you yeah. can just tell yeah so, so to me that's why phantom menace fails to me uh attack of the clones is Lucas being a petulant child. <laughs> uh, Attack of the Clones is Lucas saying, I don't care what you think, I think this is great. And it's no longer the pure ambition of a filmmaker, it is now the fuck you spite of an old man. And, <laughs> you know, there's so many parts of that movie that are totally unnecessary, that go on for entirely too long, that make no sense, and that don't, feel like Star Wars. Like, to me, and look, I can understand you if you want to say that the stuff on Coruscant in the beginning of the film is visually interesting, I disagree with you, but at least there, <laughs> you know, at least there's there's some action there, but that's, that planet does not feel like Star Wars. 
that fucking space diner does not feel like Star Wars. Dex, Dex's diner. Yeah. Um, you know, them going to a nightclub and there being a woman in essentially the outfit Cher wears in the If I Can Turn Back Time <laughs> yes, video. Yes. And yes. the fact that Obi-Wan goes to the bar to have a drink, like, that doesn't feel like Star Wars. And But to me, to me, that movie is Lucas saying, oh, you think you know what Star Wars is? No, 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 no. I am Star Wars, and this is what I think Star Wars is. And that is offensive to me. Um, I really, really dislike that movie. But I will say this. It's the only movie of the three that does not feel rushed in parts. It seems to me... I, I think, yeah, you're right, almost to a fault. <laughs> oh, absolutely to a fault. There is no urgency in that movie. Even yeah. at the end when they're in that weird faux coliseum thing, that scene goes on forever. But it seems to me like it's the one movie where Lucas said, okay, I have two hours worth of plot. I'm going to make a two-hour and 40-minute movie. Yeah. As opposed to the other movies where he had like four hours worth of stuff and sometimes had to cram it down into a two-and-a-half-hour movie. Yes, but you well, know can, what? Go can ahead. we can we stop here and point out that like it's called Attack of the Clones, but you don't actually get to deal with the Clone Wars at all. Just like how the Phantom Menace is called the Phantom Menace, but it's only hinted at who that Phantom Menace is. Yeah, it's never actually stated on screen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, you are absolutely right about that, Vince. Um, so, so going into that movie and and thinking you were going to see the like the Clone Wars, I feel like it should have been obvious that we were going to get at least some of that. Like, I, I know they wanted an extended universe where they could show the Clone Wars in depth, and that's eventually what we got. But the Clone Wars, those three words are spoken in the first 30 minutes of A New Hope. That... Yes, like Luke that, says to Obi-Wan, you fought in the Clone Wars? From Jump Street, we want to know, what are the Clone Wars? That's yes. one of the biggest faults of the prequels, I think, is relegating... You you show the very beginning and the tail end of the Clone Wars in the films. Yeah. And that's that's a huge misstep. Yeah. Um, you know what, to me, with the, 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 big, with the single biggest disappointment that I remember in the theater... For Attack of the Clones is? The romantic angle. No, no. I remember <laughs> that clearly. But I remember just being like, oh, come on, guys. So I, I got to back up here for one second. One of my favorite movies as a kid, and I still have a deep fondness for it, is the original Karate Kid movie. I think that's a very fun movie. And my one of my favorite aspects of it is how Mr. Miyagi kicks everybody's ass in that movie with almost no movement. Oh, I know what you're going like, to say. Like, is, he is slow oh, no. and deliberate <laughs> and great. Yes, yeah. And, I, and, like, when you watch Empire and you see Vader, he begins fighting Luke one-handed. Because he's like, this little pipsqueak can't do shit <laughs> against me. And it's this arrogance, and he never exerts more effort than he needs to. And I expected when Yoda finally fought that he would be Mr. Miyagi, that he would be so good, he would just be flicking his wrist and be fine. Instead, he is jumping all over the place. And I remember like 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 sinking into my seat and just saying like, ah, oh, shit. Yeah. I, yeah. The thing, I, I don't think, 
I don't know how you would have portrayed Yoda fighting with a lightsaber other than the way he's portrayed. So I just think that we should never, Lucas never should have put a lightsaber in his hand to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. It's um... equally as bad. Maybe is R2 flying. (laughs) I don't, R2 is not the biggest sin in that movie. C3PO is. Yes. (laughs) 3PO's dialogue in that movie is so bad. He has just bad. only puns. It's just oh, I'm beside myself. This is a drag. Just, yes, yes. Oh my goodness. That is more, to me, that's more egregious than anything Jar Jar says in the entire trilogy. Possibly, <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know what? That that thing that you mentioned, Brian, about, about Yoda flipping around and everything, that's classic George Lucas lack of res- restraint because... Yes. Mm, um, something I was ranting about the other day on Twitter, um, follow me at VJ underscore OST, R-O-W-S-K-I. Um, For all your Star Wars hot takes. Yes. Was the the updates that he made to the original trilogy for the special editions. Look at how much CGI and stuff he crams into some of those scenes. And then, like, beyond that, how obtrusive it is. Like, think about Jabba's Palace with the, the new band the, with the, like the female pop singer alien, like it's not enough to have her sing this new song that doesn't belong in that movie, but she literally has to stick her CGI face up to the screen yeah. and like sc- scream at you at one point. <laughs> and that's what Yoda flipping around on in that council chamber or whatever. Like that's, that's what it was to me. It was just them screaming in my face about, like, look at how cool this CGI is. Look what we can do with Yoda and what a badass he is. Yeah. And and as you said earlier, that's not Star Wars to me. Like, yeah. Star Wars had a modicum of restraint. Absolutely. To me, and to me, Yoda is the perfect embodiment of that restraint. Like, the whole sequence of him training Luke on Dagobah is I mean there's like one set they use you know it's not like it's this big visual thing and then the scene that stuck with me so much as a kid is Yoda just lifting his hand and raising that ship and you just see the power there and the restraint he has and then to see that contrasted with him doing flippy shit with a lightsaber it just really bothered me well and just that that yell that he gives right before he attacks has always stuck with me. And it just seems so uncharacteristic. His like war cry. Yeah. And, and also the Yoda speak in that movie yes. Ar- around the battlefield, a perimeter create is one of the lines spoken. And... <laughs> um, you know, it, uh, so uh, one more uh, Attack of the Clones thing for me for now. I'm sure more will come up in a minute. Um, but one of the things that really bothers me about Attack of the Clones as well is... Oh, fuck, I lost it. Shit, I had it and I lost it. Um, oh, this is what I was going to say. Sorry, not bothers me. The, my favorite moment of the movie, actually. There's a scene where Obi-Wan goes and he's looking for Yoda... And he comes upon Yoda training the little, the young Jedis. Yeah. And I felt like that was one of the few scenes that had some heart to it. Like, you get to see why Yoda would have been your favorite professor at Jedi U. Mm-hmm. Like, he's funny, 
He's kind, but he you can tell he's very serious about what he does, too. And I feel like that's the one moment in the first two movies that Yoda doesn't appear to be a colossal dick. I will say that if you cut out, if, or if that movie was just the Obi-Wan plot, uh-huh. I would like it a lot better. Because yeah, I, I feel like it does it does some really interesting things. Yeah. The other reason I think a lot of people like Sith the best is because Obi-Wan has the least dumb haircut in that movie. <laughs> he looks <laughs> so cool in Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so anyway, so that's why I think episode uh, Attack of the Clones was the worst, was, was failed. I think Revenge of the Sith fails because I think Lucas realized, like, oh, I've been playing pocket pool for two movies, <laughs> and there's a lot of stuff I have to get to before this wraps up. And there is so many, there are so many scenes in that movie that are clearly like written on the set. We have to get this point across. There's a scene with Bail Organa where he's walking down the corridor of his ship. He has one line and then it wipes away. Like they literally <laughs> have a one line scene because I forget what the scene is about, but they're like, oh, we never explained this. Hey, Jimmy Smiths, come here. Walk in front of this green screen, say this line, we're done. And there's like five instances in the movie of scenes like that where it's one to four lines, quickly done, wipe, and it's gone. Because they realize, like, oh, we have to set up certain things and we haven't done any of that. Yeah. But they don't even. That's the thing. Like, <laughs> part of my problem with that movie is how clumsily it ends like so people say that that's where like all the money shot stuff happens but i don't need to see bassinets with luke and leia right you know you know what i mean like like let us put two and two together and just give us an entertaining movie that doesn't have all these clunky scenes at the end yeah yeah I, i also feel like there's a lot of parts about the 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 end of that movie that are so unbearably problematic. Like, just, just from a logic standpoint, like, all right, so when we meet Luke Skywalker, he's on Tatooine. He is using the name Luke Skywalker. On that planet, his father wiped out the Tusken Raider community for a little <laughs> bit, right? Um, and when he, you know, he knows that Padme died, but he presumes they give birth. You kind of get the impression that, that he's kind of searching for his child, right? You think? I, I, to okay. Me, maybe that's extended universe stuff that I'm reading into now. Here's, can I go off on like a brief little tangent sure, really quick regarding that? That's one of the things that has like always bothered me about Revenge of the Sith. So in in Jedi, Leia talks about having known her mother, right. you know, know, knowing Padme. Which doesn't well. We're led to believe it's Padme. Maybe it was. I've, Mrs. I've Organa. done some. I've done some reading lately, and I, because Mrs. Organa was, I believe, still alive at the time that Alderaan blew up, and okay. so because Leia talks about her like in the in. She died when I was very young. Right. Blah blah blah. So it's taking Remember that being and, like, sad. Yeah. Yeah. So she. You know, and I guess you can explain that away by saying, oh, she's she's force sensitive. She's just remembering things, you know, whatever. You can explain it away however you want. But it's it's bad writing because it makes you have to explain it away. But the reason it had to be that way is I think what you're talking about, Lucas wrote himself into a corner at the end of Revenge of the Sith. He's like, I have to make this play out in a way where 
Anakin will not think that his children were born because otherwise it's a huge gaping plot hole. Um, because I, the way I take it is he, he made it that it had to end this way with Padme dying so that Anakin would think that his children were, were dead as well. Because otherwise you get into the plot hole you're talking about. We've gone 19-ish years and he's never thought to... And we see Anakin meet Owen Lars. It's his stepbrother. He's like, yes, your stepbrother. Exactly. Like, wouldn't yeah. you check their first dog? Yeah, like, yeah. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> like, that is one of my biggest problems is the fact that George Lucas had three movies to basically land on a known trajectory, a trajectory yes. that he had already he had already written. You know, he had already, and yet he still. Did it, he couldn't hit that mark. He he had to sidestep it a little bit. Yeah, and and I feel like uh, an especially grave sin here is part of the reason they send Luke to Tatooine is because it'll be beyond. Like, they they figure Vader will never have to go there, right? Mm-hmm. And so it'll be beyond his scope. Well, if there's parts of the galaxy that are beyond his scope, then why couldn't Padme have taken Leia? To one of those places, you don't have to kill her. Then, if if he can't sense Luke in the outer rim, why would he be able? To, you know, do you understand what I'm saying? Like, then you can have her die when Leia's three mm-hmm. or five. Oh, but Brian, she died of a broken heart. I know she died of a broken heart. That's a long <laughs> condition, my friend. You could you could live with a broken heart for a long time. You know, Vince. Oh, yeah. uh, Vince, you work in a hospital. You've seen this before. I've seen it. You know. <laughs> Well, let me just let me just say like that's that's why I complain so much about the ending of this movie because y- you guys are pointing out all these plot holes that like Lucas felt he needed to explain all this stuff but then he worked himself into a corner like you're saying a little bit of restraint in like letting us fill in some of the cracks I gu- I guess that's not allowed in a in a property that relies so heavily on an extended universe and all of this stuff connecting. But like, you know, like, like let us fill in some of the details or like, let some of it remain shrouded in mystery. Like, ooh, ooh. Oh, that makes me, that made me think of something, but finish oh, your thought. No, go ahead. That's no, that's no, all it's I've okay. Got. That's all I've got. Uh, are you sure? Yes. Okay. Well, I, there is like there are a few cases in the prequels where I think Lucas does let us fill in the blanks, and it's it works really well. I think it's some of the most fascinating stuff, mostly the stuff dealing with. Um, there are two things that I always think of: one, Anakin's conception, and what we're led to believe about that. Um, you know, not getting into any like expanded universe stuff. They're I just think that the Palpatine created life. Yes, yes. Yeah. We are led to believe that Anik- that Palpatine Ugh. or or his, you know, master were responsible for Anakin's creation, which I think is a really interesting idea. To me, the- that's the only way that the virgin birth idea is saved. Yeah, yeah. And then the other is the creation of the clone army. Um, just this unresolved kind of plot thread with this old Jedi master who supposedly put in this order 
Yeah, well, just just the the mystery around like how it was created and what we're led to, like just the the plot, the the subterfuge, and you know, I I think it's fascinating. All all of these like there are these behind the things scene things, mostly having to deal with Sidious's plan and his you know slow rise to power that I think is real handled really subtly and it's really fascinating i would say that the whole sidious rise into power thing is something if you're not paying very close attention you're gonna miss a lot of that yeah i agree which is funny because everything else in the movie beats you in the face with a sledgehammer and yet like the central the the central villain is so elusive Mm -hmm. and not phantomous either elusive there's a difference yeah um, I'm trying to think. So, um, what what are some of your guys' favorite moments from the prequels? I'm gonna have to think about this for a little bit. Well, I, I mean, mean, since I recently watched them, mine are pretty fresh. But Zach, go ahead. Well, definitely the the duel of the fates. You know, I think that's maybe the most iconic and most um well regarded moments. The fight. Both the piece of music and the fight between Obi Wan, Qui Gon, and Darth Maul. Can I, I give is... Can I give you my two conflicting thoughts with that? Go ahead. The first one is that there's almost no emotion in that; that it's very technical. But uh, you know, you know what? Maybe this is your conflicting thought, but I think that's the one time in the prequels where it makes sense for that to be the case. Yes, that was my other thing. Was I was going to say that maybe it's because the Jedi are so well trained. And so, um, like, you know, it doesn't make sense in a way that, like, if you watch the the Obi-Wan-Vader lightsaber duel from A New Hope, and you realize that 30 years earlier, those young guys could do a lot more with their lightsabers, that makes sense. They're older, their bodies aren't as in the the same shape, they're not as well trained, I understand that. But, I, 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 to me, there's just, I would take a little bit less showmanship for a little more heart in that in that scene well i think you know that's a another case of lucas's excess yeah oh the worst but... is i don't know if the last time you guys watched uh attack of the i mean um revenge of the sith there is a, a a part in that final lightsaber duel where both obi-wan and anakin just flail their blades above their heads <laughs> yes, for yes, like 10 yes. seconds for no reason yes yep. love it okay Sorry, sorry. Uh, go ahead, Vince. I interrupted you. Um, you said it made sense for that to no, happen. No, I, I. Well, you just you finished my thought. Then um, I guess what all I would add is that um, there there's not there's not really all that much history between Darth Maul and the characters that you're seeing. There and was that so, like ninety second fight on Tatooine. <laughs> yeah, so so it makes sense, and, and Darth Maul appears to be incredibly skilled, um, with the double blade and to take on two Jedi at once. It it, it kind of makes sense that that would be a more intense, less emotional sort of confrontation. You mm-hmm. know, well, and you know, I also think it works because the Jedi aren't supposed to be controlled by their emotions whereas we every other time we ever see them do anything in the prequels they are controlled by their emotions i think you know yeah so like that the anakin obi-wan fight is the perfect example of that you know 
or or uh, or I don't know. I I think that's one of the points that is clumsily driven home throughout the prequels is just how far off the mark the Jedi have gotten and really how only I I would argue I would argue Qui-Gon is the the model of like the subversive Jedi the one who is questioning authority but maybe still not hitting the mark either I would argue that the only capable Jedi in the prequel trilogy is Obi-Wan Mm-hmm. And, and he's kind of you know stuck at like middle mid-level management you know yeah. where he you know he's doing the best he can but he's shackled by the higher-ups who are making really bad decisions i actually think that a huge flaw in the trilogy as a whole is it's set up in uh phantom menace that because obi-wan was not quite done with his training and that because Anakin was a little bit too old that you know he's going to fail Anakin in his training, right? That's kind of the yeah. they set it up. And then he doesn't. And then he seems to be a wholly pretty good, you know, mentor for him. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if they just made the Obi-Wan character a little bit more human in that case and showed a couple of instances where he did fail in the training somehow, it would make well, Anakin more sympathetic. Well, I think they all kind of failed in basically like giving Anakin a free pass because, you know, they I feel like they turned a blind eye to a lot of warning signs just because of, you know, the the prophecy. Can we um, talk about the prophecy for a second, by the way? Yeah, I, I would love to. Um, do you I I am still of the impression that he was the chosen one and he did bring balance to the force. I I agree. How do you see it? I have a very specific way of seeing it. Okay. So, I think he's the chosen one. Well, A, okay. I think that the whole idea of prophecy is, is interesting because I, I think a lot of times prophecies can refer to, to different things. I don't think it's necessarily all, always... I think there can be like multiple interpretations. I think that in believing that Anakin was the chosen one, he became the chosen one. And, but, I, but also, I, I don't know. There's so much we don't know about Anakin. It's hard to say like, you know, his, his, his conception and why he exists, you know, plays a lot into it. But I think that by, killing the emperor and then dying himself he i mean that's always the i feel like the most common interpretation is that he restored balance to the force there see i have a i have a much more literal interpretation but i'm interested to hear what vince has to say about this first um i <laughs> I guess I've never really thought about it. Okay, no, that, that that's a fine answer. That's an absolutely fine answer. Okay. Um, I hate those two movies so much <laughs> that I just... I think that, like, when you understand balance, mm-hmm. I think of a scale. Like, like the, the, the classic scales of justice, right? Mm-hmm. And that to find balance, there has to be equality on both sides. And I think that in the way he brings balance to the Force is when he is done, there are two Jedi and two Sith. It is balanced. 
there's Obi-Wan and Yoda, and there is Vader and Sidious. He literally oh, balances the okay. force. Oh, okay, so you think he brings it there. Yes, because I... I, you know, I, 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 I have... A, oh, go ahead. I, I uh, you know, I, I never understood why, in Jedi terms, you'd want balance. Like, if you're a Republican, you don't want there to be a balanced Senate. You want it to be... Well, like your 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 control, right? And I feel like mm-hmm. I wouldn't if 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 the goal is to eliminate the Sith, well, then that was done a millennia before his birth because they think there haven't been Sith in a millennia. So I don't understand why the interpretation of bringing balance has to be eliminating the Sith. Well, I think I think he he eliminates both the Jedi and the Sith, right? You know, I, I Luke is weird. I do not <laughs> think of Luke as a Jedi. And I'm really, that's one of the things that I'm most interested in seeing in the, in the new movies is how they handle Luke because he doesn't act or he doesn't act like any Jedi we see in the prequel trilogy. I think the closest he, that we see him relating to is Qui-Gon just in their willingness to like dick around with everyone, you know, like to just <laughs> yeah take advantage and like use the force to do questionable things for his own gain. <laughs> But that that's a tangent I could go off on quite. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> yeah. But like, you know, by he first he destroys the Jedi and then he destroys the Sith. And that kind of goes along with what you were saying of leaving two Jedi and two Sith. But I it takes it a little bit further. Yeah. It makes it makes the balancing point later on. Yeah, that is that is true as well. Uh, I actually thought I was thinking about that line in Jedi a lot, where uh, Luke says, "You know, you failed. I am a Jedi like my father before me," and he says, "Like so be it, Jedi." And it's just like really like condescending way of saying it. And mm-hmm. I, when I first saw those movies, I used to think it was just he's an enemy of the Jedi, and so he's going to think poorly of the Jedi. But now, when you see the Jedi that he was around, it, like, it's, it's even more of a yeah. dick. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, yeah, it's like, you are not a Jedi. Like, I've seen Jedi. But I feel like it's even, it's, it, it takes it even a step further than that, and says, like, oh. yeah, I've seen Jedi, but also, who wants to be a Jedi? Well, that's true, too, yeah. <laughs> like, it's like, if, it's like if somebody fought you and was like... <laughs> this is a terrible, terrible yeah. way to say it. But like, well, you know, I'm a dork like my father before me. Like, uh, okay, <laughs> dork. Like, you know, nobody would care. Okay. Well, you know, I'm. I just remembered something I wanted to say earlier, but forgot about. You brought up the point about like the Jedi being the most ineffectual religious organization yes. ever. I think by the time we see them in the prequels, they're not even really a religious organization as much as they're just an extension of the, you know, of the government at that point, you know, they're basically a private army by that point, you know? And I think that's just another like example of how far off the mark they were at that point. Yeah. It's, um, I guess the place I want to sort of bring this to its conclusion, uh, the place I want to wrap up here is one of the things I've found really fascinating in the lead-up to The Force Awakens is how I have not seen anybody in an official capacity try and distance themselves from the prequels. Ah, uh, I have. Who who have you seen do that? 
J.J. Abrams. What did he say? Because I'm interested to hear this. He's got an interview, and I, I, I'm sorry I don't have it. That's okay. Or, or know, like, what the publication was. But he he's asked about how much he takes from the prequels versus the original trilogy. And he says something basically like, no, no offense to George Lucas or the prequels, but that's not my Star Wars. That's not the Star Wars I, I identify with. And if we're moving these movies beyond the original trilogy, like if they're taking place off of the events of the original trilogy, that's what we're going to focus on. So I'm, I'm, I'll find that for you. But that's not really... Like, for instance, uh, this is a bit of a silly example. I, I, re- I recognize this, but uh, when I was in middle and high school, I was a big fan of Kevin Smith's movies. Uh-huh. And when Kevin Smith was doing press for Chasing Amy, he would apologize for mall rats all the time. <laughs> and he, he has since come back and said that that was a stupid thing from Zuby. He would say, like, I'm sorry about mall rats, guys. Really, I should have known better than that. And I feel like I expected at the beginning of this. To have somebody say, like, look, we, you know, with all due respect to the prequels, we're never going to talk about that again. And, like, I don't know if you guys follow the official Star Wars Instagram account, but, like, they, they, they publish a fair amount of prequel photos, and I feel like there is, if not an acceptance of of the prequels, there's an understanding that they aren't just out of continuity. Any like I, I have mm-hmm. expected them to say like, you know what, prequels never happened. Let let's move forward here. And, well, and I, and I don't think they're doing that. I, I really do think that there's going to be certain elements, and we see it actually in the Shattered Empire comic where there's there's a, a couple of very mm-hmm. small references to the prequels. I do think that there is an attempt by Lucasfilm to salvage some sort of, um, I don't even know, yeah. you know, h- how to describe it, but like, I, okay. So like a couple times a year, major league baseball trots out uniforms involved with the Negro leagues. And, and like, that's to honor a part of its history that maybe isn't all that, that they're not all that proud of, but they have to represent like there was segregation. Yes. But, but we can't just ignore that part of our history. And I feel like the prequels are going to fall into a similar category where, like, you know, obviously it's not as shameful as segregation, but, you know, but there's going to be a sense of, like, you know, well, you know, we need to remember that this stuff is still out there and that, you know, it matters somehow. Yeah, Yeah. but but did you really expect them to distance themselves? I mean, a year or two ago when they came up with the official canon of Star Wars and they threw away... The extended universe, but not threw away, but like it became legends. They stuck call it, yeah. stuck it on a shelf over here. Um, they they were very clear that those six movies are the canon and the Clone Wars, essentially. Like, of course, Disney and Lucasfilm, etc., are not going to distance themselves from the from half of their movie lineup basically mm-hmm. but but if you're talking about the new trilogy seven eight and nine if that's what you're talking about i can't imagine seeing very much from the prequels in there maybe an alien race or two 
or like a ship that was from the prequels that no lo- that you didn't see in the original trilogy, you know. But as far as like I plot mean, points, story beats, there are all those rumors that Chris- Hayden Christensen was is, is training gonna... to be in Episode Eight. Yeah, I don't know. I don't believe those rumors, but I, I understand the, the thought behind it. Um, but see, here, here, here's my here's my point to the contrary. Okay, I, I don't disagree with you, Vince. I actually think you're spot on with this, but I don't think that. How can I put this? I don't think that they. If Disney is looking at this from a bottom line perspective, and you know we've all heard our stories about Disney and their uh, their cutthroat ways, right? If Disney is really looking at this from a bottom line, do they have any financial disincentive to keep the prequels around? Here's why I'll say it doesn't matter because we are completionists by nature as fans. I don't like the prequels, but I've been thinking about buying the Blu-ray set of the prequels because I feel like I need to have that in my library. Um, Mm -hmm. I feel like there will always be a place to sell us the prequels, even if they're completely laughed about and and not accepted. To me, the quickest way for people to buy the viability of new Star Wars movies is to come out and trash the prequels. It's to say, we've learned our mistakes from the prequels, and we're never going to do that again. Whether they believe it or not, because I don't think anybody out there, aside from Lucas, who is no longer involved in any capacity with Star Wars, has any real affinity for those movies. Exactly. And so they have no, they have no risk in trashing them. They can trash them freely. Well... That's not true because they have a whole generation of fans that they're trying to bring along in into the current conversation that grew up on the prequels. I, I, I'm going to call bullshit there too a little bit though. And I'm sorry to cut you off there, Zach. Um, all right. Think about your long-running franchise. Think about James Bond for a second, okay? James what, – what, what's Spectre? The 33rd Bond movie, I believe? Something like that? Something like that, Yeah. yeah. There's a there are entire generations that grew up with shitty James Bonds. And all the time people are trying to sell you a new DVD set of the entire oeuvre of James Bond. I think at a certain point it doesn't matter what you grew up with when there's enough catalog out there that's all that matters. Like I mean this is the argument I have with comics all the time. No one will ever write a Superman story more important than the ones that have already been written. It's more important for Warner Brothers to own DC as a factory for old Superman stories than it is to ever publish a new Superman story. And I feel like they really don't care about... I I, I don't know. I I get this feeling that they they see Star Wars as a longer-term prospect than having to convince people that the prequels are any good anymore. I I don't know that they have anything to gain from trashing those movies either, though. You don't you don't think they gain credibility from doing that? I, I don't. I, I don't think they need it. No. Yeah, I don't either. I, that's a well. Fair I mean, point. they've okay. they've made it this far. Not. I mean, like, 
I think they've done rather they could have done that, but that would have been the the quick and easy path, you know, that that Vader took. <laughs> and instead uh instead um you know they've kind of like built this just sense of goodwill on like what they're what they've been showing us you know like there's been i i would argue like more positivity about the new star wars movies than i think anything that we've seen in fandom over the past oh, gosh i don't know and, and let's be it. Maybe well, since like the Lord of the Rings trilogy or something, I don't know. Like, and and to me that was that was that was a more um, niche fandom as well. Yeah, yeah. Like, just the overall like the overwhelming sense of positivity. Like every time a new Star Wars trailer releases, the overwhelming response was, "That's amazing! I can't wait to see that." Let's also not un- underrate the fact that George Lucas is very much alive. And yes, even <laughs> though he's true. a multimillionaire, w- how would it look to be like, yeah, those movies that he was intimately involved in for the better part of a decade, they're shit. <laughs> you know? yeah. Well, yeah. he's sitting over here alive. You know, like it's just a PR nightmare to do that. So. I- I do think that there is a a um, desire. It's probably isn't definitely not like a primary objective. But Brian, you mentioned like the Shattered Empire comic and a lot of the other like expanded universe stuff. There's this like quiet project to redeem the prequels a little bit, I think, or to like cast them in a slightly better light. Well. I- I'm kind of spoiling my. I'm actually. I'm not going to say it. I'll tell you off air. Um, okay. Something I'm going to say in the last episode of this podcast. Okay. Uh, about Star Wars and my hope for what Star Wars becomes in the future. Okay. Um. But something you said about Lucas actually reminded me of a plot that is a plot point I want to talk about that has nothing to do with this. Um, the rumor I had heard in the mid '90s was that when George Lucas got divorced, his wife took on ownership, a large chunk of ownership of the original trilogy. And that by branding it as the special edition, he was able to cut his wife out of the profits because it wasn't the original trilogy. And that is one of the reasons why you've seen the original trilogy disappear because it's it's his way of, of kind of fucking over his ex-wife. Um, I don't know if there's any truth to that or not. But it's very interesting to me that Lucas, in all interviews about the the prequels, always talks about how giving in to love is the downfall of Anakin. And I think it's interesting this man who was clearly very spurned by love turned that experience into like the crux of the of the first trilogy of the prequel trilogy. <laughs> You're right. Like he took this idea that love brought him down and turned cast that upon Anakin. <laughs> this is such a jumbled collection of my thoughts. <laughs> do, you, I'm sorry, do, you, but... do you think Lucas sees himself in Anakin? And if so, what does that say about Lucas? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, that, well, from his point of view, the Jedi are evil. Oh then. my goodness, yeah. you went there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I. <yeah. laughs> 
I'm just um, saying. We're going to go down this like rabbit hole where the prequel trilogy is this just metatextual response to, <laughs> to Lucas's own metatextual response to the success of Star Wars and what it did to his life. Well, I, so I had a conversation with um, producer of the great podcast, Never Not Funny, Matt Belknap, who's a huge Star Wars fan, and he said that he has this lingering suspicion that Lucas wanted to, to unload himself from Star Wars in the 90s, but knew he could never do it, because if somebody else came in and fucked it up, they, people would say, oh, if only George Lucas still had control of this, it would be great. And so in some way, he made the prequel trilogy as a as a way for him to get out of Star Wars. That, like, he purposely <laughs> shot him. He basically made the producers. Have you ever seen the movie The Producers? Like, he tried to produce something so bad he would get out of uh... it. But think about what a legend he would have been if he did unload it and somebody else screwed it up and we all felt good about him again. Yeah. You're right. I mean, let, let's be honest here. He, he did make a, a lot of money. I was just yeah. going to say he made a ton of money. He talks about how – what's what's the quote about how his kids don't even have all the toys because it, it, was, it was something – about before he made all this money on the prequels, like he couldn't even afford to buy his kids all the toys for his own <laughs> movies. You know, it's, it's some classic like quote of his, like, let's, let's be honest. He made a lot of money that I'm sure he's very happy with over these movies. Mm-hmm. For sure. He's crying himself to sleep on a gigantic pillow stuffed with million dollar bills. Yes. Oh man. I want to say Phantom Menace is still like really high in like the list of highest grossing films. I'm not sure where it sits now. I did see that uh, Attack of the Clones is the only Star Wars film ever released to not be the number one box office draw of the calendar year. Huh. Wow. Let's see. Um, as Zach is looking that up, Vince, any... Oh, it's pretty low now. <laughs> Uh, any concluding thoughts about the prequels? Um, well, I, I just want to reiterate that. Um, well, also, I do want to say you haven't you you said you're never going to watch them again, right? <laughs> yeah, I was just gonna gonna talk about that a little. So, so I've seen the Phantom Menace maybe a half dozen to a dozen times. Okay, I saw it in the theaters a couple times. Um, and watched it on DVD when it came out, uh, on home release and attack of the clones. I saw twice in theaters, never since and revenge of the Sith. I saw once in theaters and like a big chunk of the movie, 80% of the way through, like skipped due to some technical issue with the theater and I've not watched it since. So, like, I, you know, maybe that makes me a little biased, but I never need to see those movies again. The, the longer it went on, the more I felt that we already knew these stories, we knew where they were going to end up, and we didn't need to see it play out. Everything that played out on screen, especially in those, in episodes two and three, were all things that were better left to the imagination. And that's just the way that I'm going to feel forever. So like 
that that's where I sit with the prequels in this discussion. Um, you guys have the benefit of having seen them more recently, but it doesn't sound like we're all that different as far as our opinion of those movies. I, I wouldn't say, say that's so. fair. Yeah, I'd yeah. say it's absolutely fair. What I will say is I think, and this is something that um, that Ken Godbertson talks about a little bit in his uh, one of his pieces for this podcast, which is that Star Wars opened up his critical eye for him, where when he he saw Phantom Menace as a kid, and then it was in rewatching it years later that he realized it was garbage, and that really opened up his critical eye and helps him as a, a journalist now to be able to look at things critically. And I think in a lot of ways, the, the 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 prequels broke my heart in a really valuable way. Like they they allowed me to realize that unless it was something real, and by real I mean flesh and blood, I mean people, I mean experiences. Unless it's that, whatever you love is going to let you down, and even then, sometimes it's going to let you down. You know. Um, yeah. And that was really important to me because up till that point, you know, like it's interesting. The the two big loves of my very young life were Star Wars and the Beatles. And the Beatles were this perfectly crystallized group that broke up and never got back together. And Star Wars was this perfect trilogy. (laughs) And then the Beatles anthology happened and those two okay songs came out of it. And then the Star Wars prequels happened, and three mildly offensive movies came out of that, and it just showed me that some that like many things in life are just left best left alone. Oh man, we and we get that lesson delivered to All us the multiple oh, times as, a year. As, as comics fans, absolutely. Um, as comics fans, as fans of anything from the '90s or '80s that's being reimagined or remade or relaunched. Um, yeah, it happens all the time. And, and that's actually an interesting point to sort of wrap up on because going forward into the, okay, we just spent the last hour or whatever kind of shitting on the prequels. Our last memories of watching anything new in a theater of star Wars were disappointing. And here we are going forward into the next making a podcast series about the movies (laughs) yes i will will say as a 15 year old watching or i guess i had just turned 16 watching uh revenge of the sith like i felt it that angst was real sure it hit home with me (laughs) right (laughs) in the intervening years (laughs) yes so and knowing all that we're going forward into episode seven and it's it's like Okay, I'm I'm very optimistic, but isn't there some part of you that feels like here we go again? I'm setting myself up uh-huh. for a massive disappointment. It's the same it... thing like when <laughs> a, new se- a new season of Arrested Development, you know, came out. Uh-huh. Like like I'm playing I'm playing this game every year and telling yeah. myself I'm not going to fall for it again. And if, and here if, I am. If I fall for it this time, I really do think it'll. I don't know. I say that. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> I like, right. I I feel like if this this has to be like the ultimate lesson. Like if because everybody, so many people are invested in this. If this goes bad, I joke, but like 
the the world is just going to go into this like weird state of mourning for a few months i think you know like it's <laughs> everyone is just it's but don't uh, you think part of that is because the prequels burned us so much it's because this feels like the yeah. opportunity to make it right yeah i mean it does feel like that and it, it just feels like everything that we've seen so far is so antithetical to the prequels and it's almost just like it's this case of like how can they can they really mess it up two times in a row like can they really be that dumb like surely like there has to be a large amount of like time and money going in like i'm sure there are people whose sole job it is is their their sole job is to just sit there and say this is not as bad as the prequels sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's just it, though, because... Now we're going to hear from my pals James and Ken, James Johnston and Ken Godbertson III, about their experience growing up with the prequels. So, take it away, boys. Multiversity Comics is the place to be To read about comics and talk to your family It's Multiversity Yeah, it was a much better one than the first time we tried to do this. Uh, yeah, the Multiversity theme song written by James Johnston performed by the James Johnston Orchestra and Band Guys, thank you so much for listening to Multiversity's Star Wars Project podcast, podcast, project. Uh, before we get started, let's introduce ourselves. Uh, who are you, other guy on the other end of this Skype call? My name is Ken Garberson III. I am one of the newer writers to Multiversity Comics, and I'm the one who hasn't had to review Secret Wars, unlike someone else. My name is James Johnston. I'm an old worn out war horse who uh occasionally writes words about secret wars that's pretty much all i do no i do a lot of other stuff but for the purposes of today's podcast i am a guy who writes about comics as is gen but today ken gen is your star wars name ken yeah yeah but today we're here talking about the star wars phenomenon that's going to be coming up soon lately Coming up soon with the release of Star Wars The Force Awakens. And Ken and I are pretty unique-ish among the Multiversity writers as we're kind of younger. Uh, I was born in 1995. Ken, when were you born again? Uh, I was born in 1989. Essentially, we are... Essentially the same year. Yeah, essentially the same year. Close enough. Basically... Like older brother, younger brother sort of dynamic there. <laughs> Essentially, think of it as... The older crew are the ones who don't have to deal with the economic crunch that was the prequels. <laughs> no, but yeah, I think that we have very different ideas of like what Star Wars has been because we were sort of raised in this era of prequels. Ken, do you want to tell us about seeing Star Wars The Phantom Menace in theaters for the first time? Okay, so yeah, I was uh, nine when uh, Phantom Menace came out to movie theaters, and I remember the hype being huge, and 
everyone got caught up in it. And I, again, I went to the theater with my dad and a couple of my friends. I saw it and I really enjoyed it. I really had a good time, but I was, again, I was nine when it happened. And then I went back as you've probably heard, if you've been listening to this podcast series, you would have heard my part in the first podcast. I saw it when I was nine and really liked it because I was nine and I kind of didn't know better. But then I, the next time I saw it, I was about 12 or 13 and I watched it and I'm like, this is not a great movie. Like the luster. I like the of. idea of like you as a nine-year-old seeing the movie and you're like, you're really enjoying it and your dad and their friends are just like pissed off this entire time. They're trying to take you home and you're so happy with Jar Jar Binks and shit and they're just like, God fucking damn it. No, I never... Well, no, you know what? Yeah, as much as... Kid keeps enjoying it. You know, um, no, well, my dad's also a big Star Wars fan too. I mean, he knows that those movies aren't that good, but even, even nine, I knew Jar Jar was a piece of shit. I liked Jar Jar. Yeah, yeah, but I think I enjoyed Jar Jar because I was four years old when The Phantom Menace came out, three years old. Oh, my. I was seeing Star- Jar Jar. I was like, honey, Spaceman. And then when I came <laughs> in high school, I was like, wow, oh, racist oh Spaceman. And he's not the only racist Spaceman in that movie. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, no, just watching Phantom Menace as, like, a socially conscious person, you're oh, just, like, God. so it's like, Wow. The I can't even remember the names, but like the anti-Semitic Merchant of Venice uh, traders on Tatooine. Oh, Watto. Oh, Watto, yeah. Yeah, oh my uh, god. Jar Jar Banks as a really weird Jamaican person. And those, Ross uh, Martin, I don't thing. know. I really don't know what he was trying to go for with that character. Yeah, I have no idea what they were either. As a four-year-old, I just thought he talked funny. Yeah, I mean... I watched it, I was like, oh, that's a fucked-up caricature. Yeah, and then the, um, uh, what are the name of the guys? Oh, God, those... Those, uh, that alien species that ended up being in all three of these movies for some fucking reason. Jar Jar? No, no, not Jar Well, Jar Jar, yeah, but... Jar Jar, um, Jar, Jar, the Jar villains, is in all of them, which the is villains the villains who were actually... Uh, the Trade Federation guys. Oh, yeah. Yeah, who are like, wow, oh my god, you guys come off as very, Mm, yeah. Name it, name it, what are they? Oh, god. I don't know, I'm I'm not looking it up, but you guys know who we're talking about. Sure. Yeah, um, as a kid, uh, my parents showed it to me when I was like five or something, uh, I like we got it. We had it on DVD, and I was watching it at my aunt's house, and it just didn't click with me. And I think that's because the first like five minutes of the film are Ewan McGregor and Liam Neeson just kind of hanging out and waiting to do some trade negotiations. You and feel as a like kid, if, you don't know what any of that is. You feel like if this movie was kind of like Train Spotting, it would be way more amazing. I think all family movies would be much better if they were closer to train spotting. Um, now let me let me ask you this. Um, now the first one I saw was Empire Strikes Back. Was mm-hmm. Phantom Menace the first one you saw? Phantom Menace was probably the first one I saw, but I think I stopped watching it halfway through and like t- played with my aunt's dog. Nice. The first one I remembered is definitely Attack of the Clones. 
And even then, I only really remember the ending when it's the huge Colosseum fight, which was awesome to me as a kid. Yeah, there were... Okay, here's how... I guess that's the segue to uh, Attack of the Clones. My thing with... I I have more dislike of Phantom Menace, if only because it was more of an emotional response than I felt for Attack of the Clones. Yeah, Attack like, of the Clones is like a really good video game, but it shouldn't be. It shouldn't have been a movie. It shouldn't have been a movie. Like everything um, I remember from uh, Attack of the Clones is probably be remembering something good from how they adapted that in Star Wars Battlefront or something. Okay, speaking of adaptation, well, kind of adaptations. There was there was a book in the expanded universe, uh, Darth Plagueis. It's technically not canon anymore. But Nothing even, is well, anymore. well, no, but I say it's that because in um one of the uh, currently canon Disney EU books, there's enough because it's by the same writer as Darth Plagueis. There's enough yeah. allusions to that book that you can assume the events of that happen in broad strokes. Yeah. And Darth Plagueis, I know we're kind of segueing into the expanded universe stuff, but Darth Plagueis is a really good book. It does political thriller stuff way better than any of the the prequel movies ever did and the thing about this book is because i only read it like two three years ago mm-hmm. this book made me hate attack of the clones more why because if because if i had this book Tell me why because if i had this book back when attack of the clones came came out i would have known what was going on oh <laughs> uh, i like i would have known who people were I would have known why this whole separatist movement was happening. I would have gotten it, but no. I think it's so interesting that with like the prequels, they try to make things more complex while also catering it to kids' movies. But because Star Wars is never that really complex. <laughs> yeah, because I was mentioning before, the first five minutes of Phantom Menace are like Obi-Wan and uh, Qui-Gon waiting around to like do some trade negotiation. The first yeah. five minutes of Star Wars are the clone are oh, I, I can't even think of them as stormtroopers. They've always been clones to me. Yeah. Are the stormtroopers bursting in through the door, shooting all the rebels, and Darth Vader just like storming down the hallway it's, and being the best. It's like the polar <laughs> opposite. Star Wars. Like between well, Menace the first five and minutes of Star Wars is the ship zooming past the well, screen. Okay, but, nearly. But once that's done. Once that's gone, downhill. Wow. Um, Attack of the Clones. I'm trying to think of. Anything I liked in that movie? Uh, Anakin's rat tail, for one. Oh, get out. This, it was oh, so dumb. Business in the front, oh Rager in the back. God. Oh, my God. And, and, I'm like, I, would I say Django Fett? But I'm like, not. Yeah, why did that have to be done? I There was this... Lucas had some bug to make sure everything was connected for some reason. Oh, the Spectre effect. Yeah, it's just... Have you seen Spectre? Have no. you seen Spectre, listeners? No, I haven't seen Spectre, so... That went over it's, my head. It's There's a there's a moment in Spectre that feels very Star Wars prequely, uh-huh. where someone's like, I've been your long-lost brother this whole time. <gasps> oh. Yeah, and... and there's everyone's response in the theater wasn't it was eh, what what all right all right whatever okay 
Um, I will say this, though, because I knew we were talking about, if we're talking about the prequels, what spawns out of Attack of the Clones, specifically the cartoons that spawn out of Attack of the Clones, yeah. are fantastic. Both that of them are on really the, good. Uh, I don't know if it's right, Gennady Tartabosky. You, uh, you broke up a little on there, what? Uh, the guy, uh, Gennady Tardavosky, who he did Samurai Jack, and then yeah. he did the Clone Wars cartoons. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. I think that's when those I started. Those were those, to... um, those like, five-minute shorts, right? Yeah. yeah. They, they, they did it They did it for the, to hype up uh, episode three. It had Asajj Vestris. Ventress, yeah. It had, it had Dirge. Uh-huh. It had all the stuff I really dug about Star Wars. And I, as a kid, I was like, why isn't this the movie? Yeah, I know. Again, that and the... Uh, okay, the CGI Clone Wars movie was terrible. Like, it's not even worth mentioning. I've heard that the Clone Wars TV show is really good, but part of... But just because of me being in the theaters and sitting through gay French New Orleans Jabba the Hutt just oh made me, God. like, not trust it. It, you know, The first kind of few episodes are kind of... St- kind of all right but it does get better and it's really good it's really what really introduced cad bane who's like this amazing bounty hunter oh my god he's he's space lee van cleef it's awesome yeah and there's so many good characters like in the whole prequel universe quote unquote that could have been done for the movies but but then the movies just felt so obsessed with like connecting everything connecting everything and being like real but not like in a fun way yeah not at all i think as a a kid i just felt sort of isolated from star wars like the prequels killed the hype for star wars for me and i I eventually saw the prequel movies on a portable dvd player which isn't a sentence that anyone says anymore but (laughs) and i connected with those movies even a little bit even though like i had them all spoiled for me because I, I was 10 years old, and I had seen media, so I know how school ends and everything. But those those movies, like, still resonated with me in a weird way that the prequels just didn't do, because the prequels just were, were just, like, empty and weird and twisted. The prequels? I, okay, I know we still got one more prequel to movie to talk about, and we're getting to it. but um, Which I'm going to defend. The pre- we may have similar thoughts on... Episode three, but the yeah. prequel, the prequel movies felt like they were made by someone who didn't get Star Wars or get what yeah. made them work. And I think that's something we're approaching with the Clone Wars TV show where, like, there's all these great contents and characters yeah. and you clearly have people who are fans of Star Wars working on all these outside projects who want to make the Star yeah. Wars prequels. Great. And what made but it? then there's just a wall of people who won't let them. What made I think what also was great about it is you can tell that those cartoons, they were made by fans, but it never feels fanish, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's not it, like they understand, like, the dynamics of how Star Wars yeah, works. They get why. They, it's not just a matter of, oh, I want to see my favorite character be badass. No, they get... I want to see my OC. What was that? I want to see my OC. Oh, oh right, right, original character, sorry. I would have lost my mind if that Star Wars cartoon had, like, Han Hedgehog, oh, God. who just, like, stole Princess Leia from Han Solo. Oh, God. Oh, man. I should get to work on that. Stop. No, don't do it. 
too late. Okay. So um, now we go into the third. Pre- okay. So you said you were going to defend Revenge of the Sith. Uh, go. Uh, I have not seen this movie in 10 years, but I think that Anakin Skywalker's whole arc is really cool if you distill it to about the three minutes where he, the little child looks up at him and goes, are you here to protect us? And Anakin's just like, no. It just like, kills see, the children. I see, I feel like... That's my like... favorite thing the whole Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's dark. Um... Oh yeah, it's just a lot about me. Episode three is my favorite of the prequels. Just love how they had to go from like, okay, so Anakin kind of has to be our protagonist for these prequels, but we need to make sure that he's Darth Vader in the in the episode three. How do we, yeah. is there any like subtle way we can really like turn him around? Let's have is him murder like 30 kids. Look, my, my nephew can't act. Do you want him, do you want Anakin to murder my shitty nephew? Yeah, dude, Let's get do your it. nephew in a shitty weird robe and just... Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll knife the fu- we'll laser knife the crap out of him. Yeah. Okay. Like I was saying, it's my favorite of the prequels, but I also get mad at it a lot too. Yeah. <laughs> because there is bits of really of greatness in this movie. Mm-hmm. The two scenes that really I think about is the scene with uh sorta with uh Anakin and Padme, but. He's in the temple. She's at her her apartment, I guess, whatever that is. Yeah. And they're just, you know, it's there's no dialogue. It's only really creepy music. They're looking out windows. Clearly, they're trying to look to each other. Oh. And so much is done with that scene without words. And the other scene that I really like was Order Order sixty six. That was really well done. Also, Again, the best level in Battlefront two. Yes, in a Best homicidal way. Um, but yeah, yeah and I, that's done with no dialogue. It's only done with music and imagery, and it's a really effective scene. Yeah, and I, f- I feel like the main problem with Revenge of the Sith, like what keeps it from being like the movie where people would go, oh, this whole thing was worth it, is that it feels too much like they have to like wrap up everything yep, up so that episode up. four can happen. Make sure he's in the suit. Get him in there. Yeah, so, like, all of the great characters who they introduced in the prequels, like Dooku or General Grievous, who I l- still love, uh, or just, like, like oh, or Mace Windu, they all just, like, get, they all just get shanked and just, yeah. like, unceremoniously did you, killed. Did you know, okay, this is a fun fact, do you know who originally was going to play General Grievous? Uh, uh, do I have three guesses? Go ahead. Um, Owen Wilson. Nope. Uh, uh, John Patrick Stanley. No. Tom Stoppard. Nope. Okay. Gary Oldman was originally supposed to do the voice for General Grievous. I'm sad that you said voice because I wanted to picture him like in the makeup and the prosthetics. As... Oh, that would be great. Well, he that would've that would be amazing. But no, yeah. Apparently, he was originally supposed to do it as a favor to um uh, one of the executive producers, but it fell through. No favor. No favor. No <laughs> way. Wait, who voiced him in the movie? Looking... I don't remember. It's not a. He wasn't. It's not a big actor because I know he still does the voice. You're for... saying Matthew Wood isn't a big actor? I don't know who that is. I don't know. Uh, he was the assistant sound designer for Armageddon and The Rock. Oh, all right, right on. I right. like The Rock. That's a good movie. So, really good. Uh, good for him. <laughs> oh, and also John DiMaggio. 
in the TV show. See, no, because Matthew Wood did the. I think John DiMaggio did it in the um, the two D one. Because I still think it was Matthew Wood who did the voice in the um, the CGI uh, Clone Wars. According to John, according to Wikipedia here, John DiMaggio did Star Wars Clone Wars season two, followed by Richard McGonagall. David W. Collins and Kirby Morrow, who did Lego Star Wars: The Yoda Chronicles, which I have several questions about. See, I remember Kirby Morrow as the voice of Scott um, Scott Summers in X Men Evolution. So this is really weird. That's a whole other podcast. Oh my god. Um, don't know, but yeah, like I really, really enjoy parts of Revenge of the Sith. I think the whole final battle between Anakin and Obi-Wan is really cool, but it's, it, feels it goes like, too long. It lasts because, so long because so much of the movie is then just chopping off characters. They don't need anymore. Yeah. Like there's not really a plot. It's like, okay, we have to go through a checklist of cool characters. Oh, no, I was, I was of. talking about, I was talking about the fight between Anakin and Obi-Wan. I, think I, I haven't it goes seen on it. I long. haven't seen it in a while. I'm sure it goes on for too long. It, it, it's, to yeah. the point that you notice it. You do. It it could have been done half half the time, and it's it would have been much more effective. And um, I will say about that movie, um, Ian McDiarmid is great in that movie. Who is he again? He's um the Emperor. Yeah, <laughs> he's amazing in that movie. As he, a kid, he's I having a blast. So ahead of game because like I knew that the Emperor was going to be the bat the Emperor. That Palpatine was going to be the emperor from the prequel, from the, the from prequels, from the original trilogy, and and every, every adult around me was like, "Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, of course." I know it's the same actor. <laughs> I was like, "Wow, I how, how could I have guessed?" Yeah. But uh, no, he's like, oh, just every every scene as soon as like you know. Once he reveals himself, like no one guessed it, um, it's just every scene with him is amazing. It's so awesomely hilarious. I'm I am genuinely surprised they kept the same actor and everything, so yeah. there's no suspense for anyone who's watched the original trilogy. Oh yeah, for six years. As six to what years. Who is the mysterious Sith in control of the Senate? I, I don't know. It's maybe. It's, Maybe it's the guy that Ian McDiarmid's playing. I don't know. <laughs> no, no, no. It has to be Yoda. No way. Uh, it's Yoda. Yeah, I know. Like, for all the kids in the audience who, like, didn't see or remember the prequels, we'd be like, oh, no, he's the bad guy. And then every adult would be like, yeah. That was, that was their no, I am your father. <laughs> What's, like, the next, like, big reveal? And then there's just not any big reveals. Yeah. For, like, a while. It's like, it's such a... Oh, and then... The... <sighs> Okay, one like last thing I want to talk about. That's exactly what you would have expected Anakin's turn to the dark side to be. You know, yeah, considering the quality of episode one and two, yeah, I re- we really should have seen how this happened. <laughs> like, of course, it's gonna end. It's gonna be him murdering thirty children. Like, I wanted to see, you know, Darth Vader marching on the temple and just cutting down Jedi left and right. I wanted to actually see that. Oh man, can you imagine that movie if Anakin, if they cut out all the things with Palpatine and Grievous, oh, kill yeah, off yeah. Mace Windu in like the first scene and just have Anakin get like exploded halfway through the movie? 
So the rest of the movie is like the first attack of Darth Vader. Yeah. Can you imagine Darth Vader orchestrating Order 66? Yeah. As a revenge well, for... Well, no, not, not, not this off? Anakin. Not this... Not this Anakin. I can't imagine him I mean, after he's already been turning to Vader. Like, that would have been yeah. so strong. And then as a kid, we're just like, oh, wow. Instead now we of... have to see the movies that we thought we wouldn't have you to. You know what? The, when they march on the temple, instead of the whole, you know, baby toddler murder parade, it that's where... Vader should have fought Mace Windu. That's true, but how about that 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 shitty producer's nephew looks up and goes, "Are you here to save us?" And Darth <laughs> Vader just choke forces his throat first, That's throws awful. him into the wall. That's awful. Okay, it, so, it goes on for twenty minutes. Yeah. Um, oh. So we're gonna have to uh, start wrapping this up because I'm right. sure other people on this podcast are gonna want to talk. What do you think is the most the best thing that came from the prequels. Um, hmm. You know what? Um, yeah, first I was going to say Ian McDiarmid as Palpatine, but I'm like, well, that's an original thing. I actually, I liked Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan a lot. More so in two and three than one, because one, he didn't really do much. I'm a musical theater student, so I can only think of Ewan McGregor in Moulin Rouge. Oh, 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 wait, 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 wait. All right, I, we have to backtrack a little back to the Clone Wars um, CGI show. Okay, ready for this? Does okay. he sing David Bowie at really inopportune moments? No, that would be, that would make it the greatest cartoon ever. Um, okay. No, what happens is, okay. Um, There's apparently this, um, back when he, Obi-Wan was still an apprentice to Qui-Gon, they had gone on a mission. Um, he met this, he met a girl that he eventually that he eventually meets again during the clone wars and she's very she's trying to keep her planet out of the war no matter what is she also trying to get out of the hands of the mahajara no oh. do you want to know her name please it's the teen yes that's, yes absolutely that's i'm like oh my really really all right but um no like i said i really really liked Ewan mcgregor as um Obi-Wan, like I said, especially in 2 and 3, because he really did capture, um, like, I believed this character would grow up into Alec, Alec Guinness. Yeah. Which is kind of why I would like to see a Kenobi movie. I, I would rather see an Obi-Wan movie between 3 and 4 than a Han Solo prequel movie, or a Boba Fett movie. I, I'd agree with that. I would like... I just think I like... Generally, I like most things about the prequels besides the prequels themselves. I really dig, I really dig the Clone Wars TV show from what I've seen of it. I dig Battlefront, all the prequel levels in Battlefront. I dig the resurgence that we got in Star Wars media post 1999. Yeah, that led to really cool stuff like Knights of the Old Republic. Yeah, Republic um, Commando, like just good things where people who weren't George Lucas got yeah. a chance to work on Star Wars in their own way. Yeah, I guess that is probably the biggest legacy of the prequels is that it made like Star Wars was big, but this made it even bigger. It made it possible to get to like the next set of it helps create a culture where we can sustain Star Wars enough to get to the next set of sequels. Yeah. I don't know if that would have happened if there was a wait between 1981 and... Yeah, I mean, between uh, 
between 81 and 2015, I feel like it would probably come off as, like, probably, There's like, I don't know, like, the RoboCop remake. Don't you, don't you dare talk bad about the RoboCop remake. I'm, I'm, no, I'm saying you if there wasn't it. that resurgence in the beginning of the 2000s. There's, like, no one really calling for it. Yeah, I'm like, who cares? Like, who cares? But, again, yeah. that's just my thoughts. I could be completely wrong, but... Yeah, well, I think that's pretty much all we have to offer in ways of how Star Wars has been perceived by people who weren't around for the... Pre- for the not prequels. Originals. Se- sequels. The good ones. The good ones! Well, thank you good so ones. much for listening to Multiversity Comics. Ken, do you have any closing thoughts and or statements? Um, Star Wars is really good, except for all the stuff that really isn't that good. All right. Well, to that, I have to say that episode three should have been Anakin Skywalker murdering children for an hour until Ewan McGregor comes in, sings Roxanne at him. And then... I didn't cut them off. That's how the file came to me with that little cut off the end of the conversation. So we'll never know what James is going to end with, but I think we can probably safely assume it's probably pretty hilarious. I, I might make James record that little jingle he did for the official Multiversity theme song or something. I don't know. We'll see. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, James. Thanks, Vince. Thanks, Zach. Thank you for being a part of this podcast. We are so, so thrilled that this is finally out there in the world. And I can't tell you how much fun it's been to put this together and to just you know talk about Star Wars. It's, it's something that's so exciting for me right now. And so thanks again for listening. Um, big thanks to Art19 and Matt Belknap for helping us host the site and host the show. We are very, very excited to be working with them. You can find the show on Art19, on iTunes, on Stitcher. And please interact with the show. Follow us on Twitter at ForceGhostC2C. Email us, ForceGhostC2C at gmail.com. And here's the big one. Leave us a voicemail on our Google Voice number, 973-913-4627. We're going to play a voicemail we received earlier in the week at the end of this week's show. It's a really great story. Please share with us any memories you have about Star Wars, or for this week specifically, if you have any prequel memories or prequel thoughts, talk to us about it. This memory actually fits in really well because it's both an early Star Wars memory and a prequel memory. So, um... Thanks for listening, and until next week, may the Force be with you. Hey, uh, this is, uh, my name is Cabot Huffstutter, and uh, I have grown up uh, for uh, most of my childhood um, as a huge Star Wars fan. I was born in 1988, and I remember uh, my first Star Wars memory. Uh, I remember my mom sitting me, and I have a twin brother as well, sitting my twin, me and my twin brother down, and uh, she, she basically, she knew that Star Wars, that, that this series, the original um, trilogy had the uh, ability to change our childhood completely and so she kind of sat us down it was almost like she was breaking um <laughs> breaking like a, a a terrible set of news to us but she she sat us down and said boys 
I want to show you guys something um, that you're going to, you're going to love. And she sat us down and we watched um, episodes four, five, and six straight through. And uh, from that moment on, I just remember Star Wars was, um, was a huge part of my life, my childhood. Uh, and uh, I, I always remember being way more obsessed with it than my, my brother Corbin. Um, but uh, in fact, he's probably going to leave a voicemail here as well. Uh, but uh, anyway, we um, I, we would go to, to church on Sunday mornings, and I would bring with me uh, little booklets that had all of the Jedi. And this was later on, obviously, when that episode one uh, came out. We were around 12 when that happened, and uh, I would bring these little booklets that had all of the pod racers and all of the Jedi Council in them, and I would have him quiz me on them so that I could uh, – uh, you know, get them all right. And, uh, we, we bought, you know, encyclopedia and, you know, whatever we can get our hands on, we, we, we got. And then, uh, I remember two Star Wars Trivial Pursuit came out, uh, the episode one edition and it was, it was really, it was really intense. And I remember me and my brother would just, uh, for hours we would sit down and we would play that game. Um, but a couple of my other later memories that I had of Star Wars that were really significant was, uh, one, uh, I've got a couple that I'll share. Um, but one was associated with episode one. Uh, it always, uh, the, 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 um, the prequel trilogy came out, uh, typically around the time of, um, of our birthday. We were born on, uh, May 5th, um, 1988. And so, uh, I remember episode one came out close to that time. So we were asleep, um, and my parents woke us up and said, boys, get ready. Uh, we're we're going to take you to the midnight showing of episode one. And we had no idea this was going to happen. So we, you know, rubbed the sleep out of our eyes. And immediately when it when it registered what was happening, we were like, yes, we're going to see episode one at midnight. This is going to be awesome. And so we, we woke up and we drove to the theater just like, you know, so, so excited. And we, we walk in and as a 12-year-old, this was like the coolest thing we've ever done, got to see a midnight showing of Star Wars. and uh, And I remember... Uh, as we were preparing for uh, the movie to start, uh, we looked around and we were like, we are clearly the youngest people in here. Everyone else was college students or adults, you know, people who normally stayed up till midnight uh, on a weekday or whatever when it came out. And um, and so I remember right before the movie played, uh, there was a um, someone who, who gave out this, this amazing Wookiee call. And it was just like, yes, people speak the same language as us so that was my that was a really really uh empowering and really really awesome i guess um experience and then uh, the next one was when we actually were a little bit older we went and saw episode three and uh and this one had a lot more um i guess there was a lot more fandom that went along with this one uh, i was in the same theater in louisiana where uh where i grew up and uh, this time, there's a lot more people that were dressed up with, you know, Jedi costumes and this and that. And I remember um, as we were getting ready before the movie started, there was a group that went down front. There's a little area in between the theater or the screen and the seats, and they were um, preparing to duel with their lightsabers. And so these two, you know, a, you know, a Jedi and a Sith got out. Their lightsabers were fighting. Well, uh, soon after that, the um, one of the owners of the, the theater came down and said, guys, just need to make a public service announcement. Uh, we can't have people, you know, having lightsaber battles. You know, someone could get hurt, so we just want to ask you all to refrain from doing that. And uh, the best thing happened after that. So immediately 
two guys that were quite a bit older than me but actually went to the same high school as I did go down to the front and announce to the whole group um, so I know we can't use any uh, force or any uh, any lightsaber, um, any of our lightsabers to, to duel. So instead, we're going to use force powers. So they proceeded to have a force, uh, invisible force choke battle, uh, and uh, it was pretty hilarious. And so, uh, so those are two of my favorite memories. Um, I love Star Wars. It's uh, been a huge part of my life, and uh, I'm grateful for for you guys for putting this podcast on, allowing us as fans the opportunity to share our story. So, um, may the force be with you, and thanks a lot, guys. Bye.